Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, would you turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. This is where we launched our study into covenant. This is our ninth message on it and our final one. I'm bringing it to a close. We have got to get back to covenant. We could be, I mean to Hebrews, <laughs> we could be in covenant from now on. I mean, it's just beautiful. My heart has been that you'll start seeing scripture out of covenant. That you'll start understanding what covenant is. And start realizing that when you mess up or whatever happens as a believer, where you run to, not who you run from. And, and how that all begins to, to work in your Christian daily experience. Today we want to talk about the new covenant, God's language of freedom. So turn to Hebrews 8, 6. And while you're doing that, we have Mike Taylor with us today. I'm, we're just going to make Mike a member. Don't you think we ought to just make Mike a member? Mike, raise your hand. He's our trucker friend. And uh, he's been all over everywhere. <laughs> so Mike, you just feel at home when you come here, okay? You just know we're family. That's what we want you to feel. All right, Hebrews 8, 6. Let's read it together. But now he, Christ, has, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator standing between two opposing parties of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Now, in order to understand the freedom, now freedom never means the right to do as you please. Not in spiritual vocabulary. It means the power to do as you should. And that only comes with the new covenant. But in order to understand this freedom we have in the new covenant, as believers in Christ, the new seed, remember we were of Adam's seed, bad seed produces bad seed. We're now of good seed, which is Christ. We, make, we need to make sure we understand the basics of three covenants. Now, there are many other covenants. Covenant Noah, he made a covenant with Noah. We saw in Genesis 6. We also, we have the covenant, the Davidic covenant and other covenants. But there are three main covenants that we have got to understand so that we begin to understand the, the freedom we have in the new covenant. First of all, the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 15, which was given to Abraham and promised three things. It promised a nation, which still exists today. Scattered for a long time, but it still exists today. It promised a land, which still exists today. In fact, it's much smaller than what God has given to Israel. The little piece we see that's the center point of history and the news is, is, is much bigger. If you look at the dimensions in Scripture of what God gave to them, and then also a seed. He promised those three things, and that seed is our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the Abrahamic covenant was given unilaterally and was an everlasting covenant. He put Abraham to sleep, all based on what God said, and, and it's, it's totally based on his faithfulness to us. It's fulfilled today in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see that in a minute. Mankind was born of Adam's seed, as we saw last week, and seed determines kind. We do what we do because we are what we are. The covenant law was given to illustrate and to expose what man really was. It was already there, but it needed to expose it 
It's what man was, a part of Adam's bad seed. 430 years later, there was no law when Abraham was on the scene and the covenant was made with him. There was no Israel at that time. But 430 years later, the everlasting, after the everlasting covenant was given to Abraham, the law was given, the covenant of law. Israel entered into the covenant of law. They had their eyes wide open. They were not asleep like Abraham. They, they knew exactly what they were doing, at least they thought they did, and they promised to do everything that God told them in the book of covenant that Moses read to them. But the law was temporarily a tutor. It was only there to lead us to Christ, the seed. You see, they broke that covenant before the sun went down that particular day. And the curse of breaking that covenant was spiritual death, was and is spiritual death. There's some people today that do not know Christ still living under that curse because they cannot live up to what the law demands. We're all born of the seed of Adam, and that's what that law exposed. Now, when we're born from above, that's what salvation is. Born again, used in John 3 and in 1 Peter, only two places it's used. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. There is no other way because he is the promise of the, of the, of the seed. He is the beginning of the new covenant that he, that he provides for us. Now we're products of, the, of his spirit and we're brand new creatures. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what becoming a believer is. Being born of new seed that was promised to Abraham way back yonder. Now, Christ fulfilled that. And when we receive him into our hearts, we're born again, born from above of new seed. Now, we are also of a brand new covenant with our eternal high priest, which Hebrews has been talking about, with better promises. Now, Christ is the new and living way. And because of his shed blood, we're no longer under the curse or the demand of the law. You see, the demand of the law is, is what Jesus said to one of the men that walked up to him one day. What are, the, what are the greatest commandments? The first part of it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And then the second part of it is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's only fulfilled as we surrender now to Christ. He produces what he demands in our life. The law has that, does not have that curse over us anymore. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So when Christ went to the cross, he took the curse of the law, which is eternal separation from God, and took it upon himself. When he raised from the dead, he now provides a new and living way. And when we enter in by faith, we enter into a brand newness of life and a brand new covenant. The new covenant is a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, as Christ is the promised seed. Now, in and only through Christ, the new seed, does the Jew and the Gentile become one. That's the only time. You, the only place it could be is in him. It says in Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he, Christ, might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man, thus establishing peace. I hear people say that this person is a completed Jew or whatever with a Gentile. They're really not true terms. The true term is a brand new person in Christ. 
where there is no Greek or there is no Jew or, and it goes on to tell us that in Scripture. We're one. Now, here's the problem. So many believers, they can hear up until this point, they understand. We're not under the old, the curse of the law, which is eternal separation from God, which was really a rehearsal of what had said in Genesis, is no longer on us when we receive Christ. He became a curse for us. He took the wrath upon himself. We either have the lamb or we receive the wrath, and the wrath fell upon him, and now we've received him into our lives. But many people can't go any further than that. They know they're in the newness of life. They know they're in the new covenant, but they don't understand the promises, the better promises that the new covenant offers to us that were not there under the old covenant. And until we begin to get our hands around this, confusion continues to bother us. Look with me in Jeremiah 31. Let's just go back and rehearse it. What was it that was promised that we're grafted into? What was it that was promised of the newness of covenant that we get to enjoy in Christ because he's the fulfillment of all that was promised to Abraham. Jeremiah 31. You remember what was happening in Jeremiah? That's Judah had become disobedient and God said, if you disobey me, I'll take you out of your land. And he did for 70 years. And Jeremiah prophesied during that time. And let's just see what he has to say. Verse 31, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day. I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke. Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 33. But this is the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Look at this. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the first thing that he promises is you, he'll put his law within us. We'll understand what it is he desires of our life. We'll somehow be in touch, in tune with the direction God wants to take us, the law being his divine will in our life. Secondly, he says, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. In other words, they're going to have a personal relationship with me in this new covenant. They're going to know what I desire of them. They're going to have a personal relationship with me. Israel did not have a personal relationship with God. They had to be represented by a priest. And even those priests had to be represented by a high priest once a year. They had no personal relationship with him like we can have today. And then he says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's a powerful truth of the new covenant. I'm going to forgive your sin. Not only am I going to forgive it, I'm going to forget it. I will remember it no more. Then the fourth thing, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's make sure. Now see, the land part of this, we can't touch. He never promised that to us. He promised us a life. But all the internal change of the heart, this type of thing, we are grafted into. We become partakers of the very covenant that was made to them. Ezekiel 36 in verse 25. Verse 25 says, I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. 
So he's going to cleanse us. That's part of the new covenant. I will cleanse you. And then he says in verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart. The fifth thing he's going to do for us is give us a brand new heart. What's the heart like that Jeremiah says, 17, 9? The heart is wicked, deceitful above all things. But days are coming, and I'm going to give you a new heart. We forget that when we become a believer, we partake of his divine nature. We are changed on the inside. This is part of the promise of the new covenant. I didn't write this. He says, then in verse 26, and I'll put a new spirit within you, a whole new attitude. Moses said of Israel, they're the most stubborn, rebellious, stiff-necked people on the face of the earth. And here comes the promise of a new covenant. I'm going to put my, a new spirit, a new attitude in you. Well, see, that comes with the heart. Once you have a new heart, you have a new attitude. And then the seventh thing, I will give you a tender heart to my will. In other words, this new heart says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's not going to be that old hardened, I don't want to hear from you, God. I'm going to put a tenderness within you. And you're going to be again to be moldable and, and yielded to my will. And then he says in verse 27, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to obey, to obey me. You know, I hear these people a lot of times, and it just, I'm sorry, I guess I can say this since I'm over 65, <laughs> but it just irritates me, just bugs a stew out of me. When I see people in habitual sin and they're not convicted over it, that just bothers me. And you know what? I've come up to the conclusion, if this is the promise of the new covenant, if that person has no conviction, if that person does not have any kind of remorse over any sin in his life, and all of us sin every day of our life, then personally, I believe he's never met Jesus and wouldn't know him from a hole in the wall. This is, this, what you just saw here is what happens at new birth. This is the promise of the new covenant. We've been grafted into it as Gentiles, and we've become partakers of what was promised to them. Romans 11 tells us every bit of that. Whereas the old covenant of law revealed sin and therefore cursed, though everybody who broke it, and of course that's everyone, except the Lord Jesus, the God-man. The new covenant of grace doesn't reveal sin and expose sin as much as it does. The Holy Spirit does. But it forgives sin. Not only that, it changes us by the Holy Spirit coming to live in our lives. The seed is now in us. The, the, we've partaken of the divine nature and enables us to live under righteousness. Whereas before, there was a righteousness that they called righteousness, but it was filthy rags, Isaiah 64 and verse 6. In the new covenant, we live by faith, trusting Christ. It's not a matter of commitment. That's the law, because that depends on you. It's a matter of surrender, which is a hugely different word. We surrender to Him. We trust Him, the grace of God, to do through us all that he demands from us. But the question is, and this is what we're going to address this morning, are you living under the new covenant? Are you experiencing the better promises this morning? In many people's believers' lives, it's like the blind leading the blind. You heard about the guy that jumped out of the plane. They told him, pull the ripcord, it would work. And he just believed them. He jumped out, pulled the ripcord, and it didn't work. <laughs> he pulled the other chute, the, the emergency chute, and it didn't work. He's really, really upset. I mean, he's coming down at a pretty good speed, and the parachutes won't work, and he needs somebody to talk to. And about that time, a guy goes flying by him going the other way. <laughs> 
It just made him feel so much better. And he said, hey, you know anything about parachutes? He said, no. You know anything about gas stoves? <laughs> the blind leading the blind. You can talk to 10 Christians about what it means to walk under the new covenant and get 10 different answers. And this is why we've got to nail this thing down. What does it mean to live as products of the new covenant, of the new seed with Christ living within us, participating in the better promises that were promised to Israel and we're grafted into? What does it mean to live that way? So in our message, I want to show you three groups. I'm going to take some familiar passages and, but I want you to see them in light of covenant. Matter of fact, that's my whole goal in doing this is everything you see from now on is going to be a covenant. We're going to see relationships come up in Hebrews. I don't have to touch it in a covenant series. It'll bring it up because if I'm in covenant with him and you're in covenant with him, guess what? We're in covenant with each other. And boy, does that ever change the way we treat one another, but that's not yet. It's coming in Hebrews. You might want to look ahead and see which Sunday you don't want to be here. So there are three situations that you can fall into. First of all, I want you to see believers that are misled, misled believers. And I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Very familiar passage, but I want you to see it in light of the old and the new. The old covenant demands that you do it in your own performance, in your own power. The new covenant demands that you trust Him, and that's it. That's the way you live, trusting Him. And I want you to see the difference and how, how, how quickly your flesh will take you back to the old. How quickly you can be deceived and be misled. Sometimes it's a father that cannot be pleased that puts you back up under that old performance mentality. Sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a boss at work or sometimes it's in the church. Sometimes it's a teacher or a leader. Look out, look out, look out. You can be misled that fast and your flesh is susceptible just like mine at any given moment. You have to be aware of what I'm talking about. You, want, you know what's going on in Galatians? The false teachers had gotten into there. They followed Paul wherever he went, and Paul taught them the message of grace, but here they come. They're back. In Galatians 3.1, look what he says. You foolish Galatians. You know that word foolish can be translated stupid. I love it because my mama told me not to use the word stupid when I was growing up. I can use it now because that could be a translation of that word. You stupid Galatians. Now, he's not demeaning them. They've exasperated him. If you have teenagers, you know exactly what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, he's just at the end of himself. Oh, stupid Galatians, he says. Foolish Galatians. He says, who has bewitched you? The word bewitched there means who has put you under their spell? One of the funniest things I've ever had with Diana <laughs> is she took a, a real strong sleeping pill one time. She had had some surgery and they gave her something to rest. <laughs> You have to know Diana. She's very serious about everything. Well, I mean, you're talking about opposites attracting each other. And to me, everything's funny. But that night, when she gets nervous, she laughs a lot. And so she got to where she, she got real lethargic and couldn't move. And I said, what, what's wrong? And she would slur her speech. She said, I don't know. And I said, Diana, I'm worried. Now, quit playing with me. And she uh, she started laughing. Well, I knew then, uh-oh, she's nervous because she doesn't know what to do. And she was going to get up to go to bed. And I couldn't get her out of the chair. She couldn't move. She talked like this. And finally, I had to basically pick her up 
and carry her to the bed. And she was laughing the whole time. And I'm thinking, stop laughing. It's not funny. I don't know what's wrong here. That pill had put her under a spell. I'll tell you what. The moment you go back to law living and you start trying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can. Because the law demands performance. And when you go back, look out, look out. It'll change your behavior so fast. You'll become the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, everybody else is wrong. You're the only one that's right. And you're miserable, but you have to tear everybody else down to build yourself up. It's amazing the pattern that begins to establish. And somebody who knows you and has seen you walk in the new will look at you and say, who has bewitched you? <clears throat> What in the world have you done? The old foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You know that there's only one way to salvation. You know that he, saw, he, he fulfilled the law. Yeah, you understood that when I preached it to you. And verse 2 says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Is that how you got the, the promise of the new covenant is the Spirit? We just read that. I will put my Spirit within you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Is that how you did it? You gave so much money to the church. You attended so many times. You went there. You went there. Is that how you did that? Or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith? They knew the answer to that. They knew the answer to that. Are you so foolish? Use the same word. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected, brought to the completion by the flesh? Do you mean to tell me that God bursts you as a believer? Now it's up to you? Is that what you're telling me? You've been misled. And these false teachers have done it 14 times in chapter 3. The word faith is used to describe a total trust in Jesus to do and be everything that you're not. And we're not anything that he, he demands. What is the promise of the new covenant again? The Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Now, I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm just going to read the Scripture. I'm going to let Paul teach us this morning. Just watch what he says in light of covenant. Even so, Abraham believed God. Now, what's Abraham doing? He's, he's hundreds of years before. He's still around because that covenant was an everlasting covenant. The new covenant fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. In between was the law that frustrated everybody and got them ready. For the grace that was to come. He said he believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. He didn't work for it, didn't earn it. Therefore, I love those therefores, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. I just love that. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Remember, he said that through you, all nations would be blessed. We're the nations. Preach the gospels beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. There he is again, the believer. Because it was that covenant, unilaterally, cut by God, put him to sleep, that we're beginning, we're, we receive the benefits from because Jesus was the promised seed. Verse 10, for as many as, as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So what is it that's condemned? Not only the person, but the works are condemned. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law are accursed. 
are under a curse. No one has ever been justified under the law. There was only one, and that was the Lord Jesus, who gave the law, the new seed, who came into this world that he created and became a man, the God-man. Verse 11 says that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. These false teachers were trying to bring those Galatian believers taught grace by the Apostle Paul back up under that old performance mentality. And what caused it, we don't know. But we know the teachers were there trying to do it. That that was the main cause. But what caused their flesh to give into it so quickly? I don't know. A lot of things can cause that, can't it? Tragedy. uh, Situations that don't work out the way we thought they would. A lot of things can push us back. We've got to do something about this. And God says, yeah, you do. But you first of all better be here for me. Because if I don't empower it, you're right back up under the frustration of your own flesh. In the new covenant, Christ lives in us to produce what he demands from us. Verse 12, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he says, he who practices them shall live by them. In other words, if you're going to go back up under the law, you better not miss one because if you miss one, you've missed them all. You can't just do one and then work on the next one. It's all together. And it's like a claw. You know, it's, it's funny. That claw, a treble hook, I think of those people who snagged those trout up in, up in the northeastern United States. They have a run on salmon and they'll throw them out there and just snag them. And I think that's kind of the way the law is. It just snags you. And all of a sudden, you're, it's got you. And all of a sudden, you're back up under. We've got to do this ourselves. We've got to do this ourselves. Well, Christ, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, redeemed us from it, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, look at there, might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit. Exactly what was promised to Jeremiah, exactly what was promised to Ezekiel, through faith. That's the only way to receive it, by faith. That's the way we're engrafted in. This is the promise of the new covenant that we have been grafted into. How do we enter this, into this new covenant? Only, only by faith. There's only one way. If you're not here this morning and you've never been saved, there's only one way. Faith alone in Christ alone. Receive him into your heart. Admit that the law has done its work in your life, has condemned you. You cannot do what God has commanded you to do. The Ten Commandments stand over us all. And no man has ever stood there having attained them except Jesus. This is where Israel is blindsided because they still think that it's obtained, righteousness is obtained by works. But it's a reverse. If by faith we receive him, those righteous works will be evidence of our faith. Listen to the, to, in light of the covenant of promise, verse 15 of Galatians 3. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds corrections to it or conditions to it. What he's talking about, the word covenant there is diatheke. That's the same word used in Hebrews 8, 6. And that's when somebody makes a will. He has to die before it becomes effective. And when he dies, nobody can change the conditions. That's exactly the way it is with the new covenant. You don't come in on your terms, you come in on his terms. There's another word for, for covenant, seem thinking, when that's when two equals enter into covenant. That's like a marriage covenant. But this is not what this is. This is a diatheke. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. You see, he's explaining exactly what we're talking about. 
What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. He says, for if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise. See, this was a promise God gave to Abraham when he was asleep. It wasn't to entering into an agreement. It was, it was given to him of this new covenant, this, this seed that would come. And he said, you can't, you can't nullify that promise. You can't do that. Just because the law came, it didn't nullify the promise. It just made people ready to receive it. For if the inheritance is based on a law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Verse 19, why the law then? That's a good question. It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. And then he says this, now a mediator is not for one party only. I love this. Whereas God is only one. Well, who's the other one? (laughs) That's you or me or whoever it is. And then he says, is this, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life in any way, he said, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. See, the law can never produce what it demands. It demands righteousness. It cannot produce it. That's what it was there for, to show them the frustration of trying to do it themselves. He says, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, speaking to believers there in Galatia. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, look at the covenant here, have clothed yourself with Christ. And then he says, there is neither Jew or Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And look, look, look here. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants. Wow, that guy lived how many hundreds of years ago? And yet what was promised to him? And then Jeremiah also re-promised it. And then now we're living in it because the promise, the fulfillment was the Lord Jesus. And when he brought in the new covenant, which was promised to Abraham. It's not a faith. It's not, it's not a works. It's a faith, period. And this is why so often, I know I sound like a, broken record. I keep saying we can't. God never said we could. That's what the law said. But he can. He always said he would. That's what grace says. And there's a difference. You see the difference in the two covenants? Are you trying to do it yourself? You know, I don't know how many marriage, Diane and I are doing a marriage class right now, but I don't know how many marriage classes I've been to to give you 15 ways of becoming a better believer, better, no, better husband, better wife. And they don't realize it, but when you leave, you're worse off than before you went because they've just now told you that many more things that you're not going to be able to do. You already know you can't do it to start with. But over here in grace, it says, hey, let's just start right here. You can't, (laughs) but God can. Now, start living in the promises of the new covenant, new heart, new spirit that lives within you that he promised that we're a part of. Well, secondly, in all my time, Excuse me. I'm trying to have a spiritual fit. I don't think there is one. (laughs) Time just drives me nuts. 
But let's just look at the frustrated. We've seen the misled believers that was happening in Galatia. You may be being misled right now. You could be in a group, and the guy who's in that group leading it doesn't understand grace, leads you right back to doing it yourself. You be careful. It could be a parent. It could be a friend. I don't know who it is. Watch out. Watch out. Because that's going to lead you to a state of frustration. See, there's always some hard heads. Romans 7. And I'm just going to have to broad brush it for you. I, I won't have enough time. In Romans 7, he starts off and says, I want to talk to you that know law. And what did he mean by that? They're in Rome. It's not just Jews. I listened to a tape of myself when I was 45 the other day, and I thought, ooh, God burned that tape. Because I said it had to be the Jews. No, it doesn't. There's no deaf article before the word law. Where did they make the rules back in those days? Rome. Where's he writing to? The Romans. They kind of know where the law, what the law is about. And he says, the law has jurisdiction on you as long as you live. <laughs> In other words, you're going to pay taxes till you die. <laughs> the law has jurisdiction. The only way to get out from under the law is his point in verse 1 through 6 is there got to be a death. He uses a marriage as a picture there because that fits into just about every culture. He's not teaching on marriage. But what he's saying is the woman is totally free to marry to another when her husband dies, but not before. So what he's just saying is there's got to be a death. And then he says, you've died. You have died. Goes back to chapter 6 in the first 1 through 5. That's what happened when you became a believer. He died your death on the cross. And when you bow before him, immediately you're nailed back there and you start to walk a brand new life. His spirit comes within you. You're a brand new person. That's the new covenant living. That's what Paul starts off with in chapter 7 to the hard heads that are going to do it their way. And then he starts leading them down about what he found out from the law. The law said, don't covet. He said, I got up one morning and I said, okay, God, I'm not going to covet because I really want to do what you tell me to do. And what did he do all day long? Covet, 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 covet. By the end of the day, he's saying, good night. I didn't know I couldn't do what the law required out of me. Then you get to verse 14 and I made the biggest mistake in the first service. I was worried about my time and reversed my thoughts. <laughs> So somebody says Wayne contradicted himself. He said he believes Paul's lost in verses 14 through 25. I did say that, but I thought I was saying, I believe he was saved. So age, I believe he's fighting the frustration. Here's the frustration. You try it. Things I want to do, I can't do. Things I meant to say, I don't say. How many of you have been there anytime soon or recently? Yeah, all of us have. That's what he's talking about. And the frustration that comes out. And he comes down to those last two verses. Oh, wretched man that I am. And that word wretched means nobody knows the troubles I know. <laughs> nobody knows but Jesus. Boy, I mean, when you, how many of you have felt absolutely wretched in the last month besides me? Just wretched. You think to yourself, oh, wretched man that I am. He didn't say what will deliver me. That's what he would have said as a Pharisee. He said, who will deliver me? And it's the Lord, thanks be unto God for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not talking about condemnation. You're not losing your salvation, chapter 8, verse 1. He said, what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh, God did through his son. And he's talking about the frustration of so many believers, himself included, that try to do it themselves. Give me the bulls, the horn of that bull, buddy. I'll take care of that bull, son. You just let me get my hands on it. That's your choice. When you're misled, you get very frustrated. Oh, wretched man that I am. Try to go home and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Come back and tell me how you did. 
No, no, send her to tell me. I'd like to hear what she has to say. But it has a huge difference. I asked, somebody asked me one time when I first started the ministry, how are you going to build this church? I said, I'm not supposed to build anything. If you put a hammer in my hand, I'll tear it up. God said what? I will build my church. You do what I tell you to do. I love it when the disciples said, how, how can we do the works of God? He said, this is the work of God. You believe on him whom he has sent. And the present tense is you, you keep on believing on him. He's doing the work. That's the new covenant. If you can do it, that's the old covenant. You ever been misled right back to it? The hardest people in the world understand that message. Successful athlete. A military individual who works his way up through the ranks and a successful businessman that will grate on him till the day he dies because he can do it. Give me, give me a shot at it. And God says, you just think you can, buddy. I'll put you right back where you need to be. You're not under the old. You're under the new. So frustrated, misled, oh, finally, <laughs> fulfilled believers. You know what you can be fulfilled? And I was, here's what I was going to do. I was contra- going to contrast the two epistles, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You know that city in Michigan that's called hell? Well, Corinth was the first Baptist church of hell. I mean, in friend of 1 Corinthians. I mean, drive you nuts. He sent a third letter by T- Titus, and they heard it, and they repented. And boy, the apostle Paul has a lot of other things to say to 2 Corinthians. See how many pages I'm skipping here? Let me show you. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we're adequate in ourselves. What is this old Pharisee that could do it all himself saying, not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. That's new covenant talk. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as as your bond service for Jesus Christ. We don't preach us. We don't preach our denomination, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So my question this morning is this, have you been misled? How do you know you've been misled? You are frustrated as a believer like never before. Somehow you thought you could do it. You were misled. And then thirdly, are you fulfilled this morning? There's nothing in it. I love to watch the Discovery Channel. Anybody else watch the Discovery Channel? I like to watch some of those programs. And they capture those bears that some of them have some problems and they bring them in and they put them in a cage and they work on them and they get better and better and better. And I love the program when they take them out and they lift up that deal. Son, they've been set free. They're out of there. And you see them running, enjoying, being what God made them to be. Are you living like God wants you to be this morning? Or are you misled again? Yeah, me too. Or are you frustrated and sick of it? That's the difference in the new covenant versus the old. What we've done, we've married the two. And woe be unto us when you do that. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 